In this complex and rapidly changing world that we live in, an abundance of information is at our fingertips and immediately accessible. The finance industry is all of these things and more. It's a nightly occurrence to watch the news and to hear and see stories about Donald Trump's decisions, conflict between countries, the Brexit vote, protests in Asia, and still the conversation around this cryptocurrency. All of this is going on and is going to impact us financially, but not many of us know how or when. For many of us, this makes finance scary. It is the unknown, or maybe it's the terminology and the language. I'd like to welcome Lisa Morgan to share her story and talk through her relationship with finance. Thank you, Lisa. Hello, Nick. Let's talk about your journey with finance and where it all started. You grew up as a young girl with parents, but not a lot of education in the finance industry. Oh, look, um, you are spot on there. Um, the themes that I grew up with, and they were identifiable on both sides of the family, and their generational beliefs I, that I believe came down were handed down, except they were a bit dysfunctional. Money generates a roller coaster, a roller coaster of emotions. Short-lived highs swamped by ongoing waves of panic, anxiety, and even a sense of danger. And that sounds weird to, to associate that with money, but that's how it was. And I unknowingly absorbed all those beliefs and more due to a lack of alternative thinking and the lack of any financial, positive financial modeling and positive financial education within my extended family. We just didn't have that. My parents didn't have that from their parents and so on. Now, my parents worked extremely hard and they provided education opportunities for all three of us kids, but money just seemed to evaporate. Absolutely, it did, you know. Their salaries came in and then it was gone. Nobody knew where. There were no family discussions on budgeting or how to save. But the tension, the fear, the uncertainty around the finances was everywhere through our lives. When I was very young, maybe about five or six, we went to a country show. That was a very rare treat. And I was given my mother's purse to go and buy an ice cream. Well, I got distracted by Sideshow Alley. <laughs> and before I knew it, the money was gone. It wouldn't have been much money, but I was absolutely stricken with shame to tell my parents that I'd spent it all. Sadly, what I heard was, you're irresponsible with money. You don't understand the value of it. You can't be trusted. It's dangerous to put you in, in control of money. You just spend it all. And unknowingly, those beliefs settled within me and I lived them out for decades. How do you reflect on that now? You, you had some time in New Guinea as a child. Mm -hmm. how, did, how did all those where you lived, the conversations that was passed on to your parents and passed on to you, when you reflect on that now and that confusion, how did that impact you and for how long? Well, most of my life, I've just, I'm just about to have a very significant birthday and I would say that my beliefs around money, which I've just talked about, have been present my whole life, that I was born with those beliefs in my DNA. And I didn't know that. And it wasn't until I started consciously, I made a decision to consciously look at my emotional response to money. Because if anyone talked to me about money or if I reward spent for myself, 
you know, to get that emotional high, feel good, whatever, I inevitably went into a period of shame and and anger. And I didn't understand why I was driven to buy in the first place, to spend when I didn't need it. And so I made a decision to reflect on it and to actually unpack it all. And over the last decade, I've done that. What age were you when you got your first job and were able to bring in your own income? Uh, My first job was um, 16 and I was working in a local chemist on a Saturday. What was your understanding when you were bringing in your own money about saving but also spending when it is you that is bringing in that money? Oh, no, there, uh, there was no saving. It was just, oh, I've got this money, I can spend it. This, this, you know, this was instant gratification. Do you look at look back at that time now and feel like you could have made better decisions if you had been better educated early on, or you don't regret any of those oh, ways that you lived your life as a late teen? I could have made very different decisions, and it would have impacted on my whole life. It would have impacted on who I went on to become as a person. But my parents did the best they could with what they knew. And they didn't know those things. They didn't know uh, that there was an emotional response. They didn't know that the reason they felt so angry and lashed out was because they were being triggered by generational beliefs that were embedded within them. You meet a man named Richard? I did. You marry him four years later. Yeah. What was his role in the family finance? Well, he actually, he was the son of a bank manager. Um, And so there had been, um, there had been some form of uh, financial education and modelling there. Um, He took over our family finances. That's just the way he was. He was a very good saver and um, he liked to control it. Did you ever feel like you needed to know more? Uh, I was scared of it, Nick. I was scared because I I had such bad feelings about myself. I had such low self esteem around managing money. I believed. I had those deep beliefs within me that I couldn't be trusted, that I would just spend everything. So, you know, when when you're together, um, and this was even before we had our family, I felt that it was actually better that I wasn't in charge of or of any of the money. Certainly, I was working very hard, but. I thought that I didn't understand it and that I couldn't be trusted. Did you agree with the decisions that were being made on behalf of you and your family financially? Uh, Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, I was sort of swept along with it. But certainly I did agree with it, yeah. Part of your story is a sad story and it's the illness and then the passing of Richard. Yeah. Can you tell us about the emotion post that and how you felt regarding now needing needing to take responsibility for your finances and your two daughters? Well, yeah. Um, life happened to us in that Richard was diagnosed with motor neurone disease. It was very unexpected um, and our lives totally changed in that instant. 
um, we were both in our mid-40s and our daughters were seven and five. Um, you know, MND is a terminal illness with no known cause and no known cure. But that is changing. Thanks to Neil Danaher. Um, it felt at that time, because this was back in 2005, it felt like we'd been flung onto a mountain and swept downhill in an avalanche with no way out, not knowing when it would end, but knowing how it would end. Richard's illness was aggressive and the journey was short. As well as running the home, caring for him, for our young daughters, overseeing renovations to the house to accommodate his disability, emotionally supporting both the extended families, I also had to assume control of the finances because when he was diagnosed with a terminal illness, he decided that he wanted to hand over the finances to me. And he did. And he said, you got to step up. He made a decision that he wasn't going to explain things to me or help me, that I just had to, I just had to learn and step up. And that was terrifying for me because I was already, I felt like I was already failing my family because I couldn't change his diagnosis. And then I thought, wow, you know, I have to manage our finances and I'm pretty sure I'm going to fail at that. And the kids and I are going to be out on the street. And how terrible will that outcome be? You know, this is not the life that either of us foresaw. Um, Can you share with us in such a tough time the emotional part of it, which was the priority, the fear of your future and your daughter's future, Zoe and Ella, at that time, what you didn't know about finance, how basic was your understanding at that stage about the way that the world worked financially and how you fitted into it? Well, I thought I was dumb. I thought I was stupid. I thought I was a danger to myself and a, and a pot of money. Uh, I didn't know how to budget. I didn't want to look at my incomings and outgoings. I didn't know that that was the basis of a budget. I, I actually didn't know that. Um, and when I heard that or read that or someone told me that, I was terrified and I was ashamed. And I thought, I, I, I can't put down what I'm spending. Um, because it's embarrassing, it's humiliating, it's shameful. So I was very overwhelmed by very tough emotional feelings. When did you make the decision to seek some help financially, to get an advisor? Well, it was funny because um, at one time Rich owned a part-time business. And when that sold, we purchased some shares and he loved it. You know, he really got right into, you know, he was very diligent about it and loved getting on there every day and having a look and seeing what was happening and what was coming up and what was possibilities. And he also managed our day-to-day -day, uh, expenses. And, and somehow through that, we 
seemed to inherit a financial advisor with the bank that we were with at the time. But that, that was a very underwhelming experience that, that, that we had a series of financial advisors come out to us and, and try and sell us product from their bank because that's what happened in the 2000s. Yes. Um, it was very disappointing, but it actually really encouraged Rich to become more interested in the stock market. And then one day um, we got another letter in the, in the post introducing another financial advisor, and this was during Richard's illness, and we talked about whether we'd see yet another person, and we thought, oh, what the hell, you know. And so it was February 2006, and that had been a big month. The bathroom had been remodelled. Our solicitor visited and rewrote our wills, and we met Terry Barber, who was, you know, just the latest financial advisor, to knock on our door. I held out little hope, but I invited him in, and I explained to him that the reason that my husband was sitting on a motorised scooter in our kitchen was because his muscles were wasting, that he was dying of a terminal illness. And I was very frank with Terry. I didn't pull any punches. Because I thought, don't waste my time. I haven't got time to give you. He was shocked, but he was compassionate, calm, professional. He knew what needed doing to navigate the financial side of a terminal illness. He said, I've got experience in this type of situation. I'll do the best for you. So he had that professional side, but the personal side, the side that is him, with all his experience, he, he saw our humanity, he saw our situation, he saw my vulnerability and my need for guidance and support. And he totally understood the role that he could play to bring a change into my life. And he took that on willingly and with an open mind and he declared at that first meeting that I could trust him and that he wouldn't let me down. Did your feeling of trust and not being let down, was it instant with Terry? And why was it different to everybody else that you'd met previously, from the bank or privately? Uh, it was different because he didn't come in. He, he wasn't uh, – he didn't shut down when he heard about our reality. He didn't shut down and try and sneak out the door, you know. He took a breath, had some of his tea, and he said, I'm experienced with – the realities of a terminal illness and the financial implications that go with that. I can help you here. He didn't try and avoid the subject or just think, well, I'm here to sell some product. He didn't do that. And it was amazing to us and it was so reassuring. I, I felt like I could put myself in his hands. With that confidence and the way that Terry's presented to you and the way that he made you feel, and that is a big part about finance, the way that you feel about your money and being able to put your head on the bed at night and sleep really well, what about the educational point from Terry? Was that a big part from someone that has had this inherited understanding about finance and you don't need to know about it, that it's going to be taken care of by the male, to all of a sudden understanding, I feel safe with you minding my money, but you're also going to educate me along the way until I get to a comfortable position 
knowing that I can manage my own money. Well, I didn't think about that at the time because I had other priorities in what I was thinking about and I had to, you know, I had to care for Richard. He didn't want to uh, go into hospital. He wanted to stay at home and die at home. And I had two little girls, you know, that I had to try and give some sort of life to. Um, and for Terry, it actually wasn't about educating. It was about getting, putting in place everything that needed to be put in place to ensure that the girls and I could live on after, after uh, Richard passed, that we could live on in a secure financial situation. Um, and so that's where it was at that time. Um, in the last weeks of his life, um, Terry was really concerned. He rang me one day and he said, Lisa, I can't sleep because you haven't signed a particular set of documents and you must sign them before Richard dies. And I said, I don't want to sign them because I know what it means. And he said, but you have to because if you don't, it will have very negative consequences in terms of your access to your finances. And so he was really compassionate. He was really kind, but he was really firm that I just had to sign them there and then. I couldn't talk to Richard about it. He couldn't. He couldn't hear those sort of things. Um, you know, his life, the end of his life was rushing at him fast enough um, without these sort of reminders. After he died on the 23rd of December 2006, so 18 months um, was his journey, I just wanted to be invisible, to hide, to disappear. And so I did that. And I also went into reward spending overdrive. I really did. Rewarding us for surviving the horror of the illness, for losing a husband, for losing a father. I didn't talk to Terry. I didn't talk to anyone about it. I didn't have a budget. I didn't look at my bank statements. All I wanted was to make our little family of three momentarily happy so that we wouldn't think about what we'd lost. I didn't realise that I was chasing the endorphin rush and nor did I understand why I then felt panicked and angry at losing control. I was ashamed of my inadequacies and so I never... I just didn't want to talk about it. But underneath all that spending, all that fear, that anxiety, the grief, I actually knew, I knew that Terry had my back and that he would be doing his job. I trusted him. When I did talk to him about it later, he didn't judge me. He didn't make me feel irresponsible or that I couldn't be trusted. He explained the big picture and the long-term goals. He supported me. He encouraged me to not only learn about my finances but to get back into living and to stop hiding. How comfortable do you feel with your decision-making regarding finance with the support of Terry and those close to you, including your daughters, now 12 or 13 years since that yeah. devastating period of time? Yeah, 13. You sit here comfortable yeah. and confident. Yeah. What, is, what has the last 13 years been like and where have you come from to where you sit right now and what are you most proud of financially? 
Well, over the past decade or so, I've been finding a new way, reflecting on my emotional responses. You know, I knew, I knew that I had to, that I couldn't go on, that I didn't want to go on being triggered and being out of control and being on the roller coaster when it came to money. money. And so I did a lot of internal reflection. And I changed my thinking and I changed my life, you know. I built my resilience. I became visible. I actually see and accept the reality that I do know what I'm doing, that I do make sound decisions, that I absorb and that I learn. I love to learn from other people, that I'm trustworthy, I'm responsible. But I had to, I had to actually get to that point where I thought, why don't, he's showing me with facts and figures that I'm okay financially. And yet I've got this voice in my head saying, he's not talking about me, he's talking about (laughs) someone else. This can't be me. I can't be in this safe, comfortable position. And so I had to really look at that. And I did. I committed myself to uncovering the hows and the whys of my dysfunctional beliefs and unraveling those generational attitudes and responses, and I turned my thinking around. You've used a couple of words a few times, emotional response, mm. positively and negatively. Negatively. Tell me about your emotional response when you speak about being financially stable now. Oh, what does that trigger inside you? I'm so proud. You know, I put my hand on my heart. It's instinctive. Uh, I am so proud of myself. I'm so proud that I've created new generational beliefs, that I am educating my daughters, that those old beliefs stopped with me and new beliefs have started with me. In fact, my 21-year-old has her own portfolio and her own advisor, and that was her own decision. And that's the power of positive financial modelling and education in action. And, you know, that just blows me away to know that I have been a part of that. Tell me about life now. A single mother, two daughters, I can see on your face every time you mention their name, you're proud as punch. Zoe and Ella, tell me about your life right now and what that looks like. Well, you know, Just before I tell you about what life is like now, I just want to say something else about Terry. You know, he encouraged me to be realistic and sensible and to save for the future. But he also encouraged me to have fun. And that meant another big change in my thinking. You know, because I just thought I just had to slog it out. I just had to work hard. I just had to keep going head down, you know. But when he said, have fun, life is about having fun and creating experiences. And I realized that I could do that. And I started to enjoy life. And we've been on a couple of family holidays. We went to America. We went to Bali when the kids were younger. We joined friends in Inverloch every summer for 10 years and made the most magnificent memories, you know. And that is what life is about. Um, I stopped work for 12 months and during that time both the kids moved out of home, one to uni 
uh, they both moved interstate, one to uni and one uh, relocated with her with her work. And I, I was able to travel with them and, and help set them up in their new accommodation and I visit them periodically. And it's so meaningful for us that we could do those setups together. And I have little adventures with them individually and I love that I am financially able to do that. I've travelled overseas twice this year and I've ticked off a long-term goal to celebrate a significant upcoming birthday in Italy. Life's different now that the girls are out into their lives. I actually get to recreate myself again. When Richard died, I didn't know who I was because I was no longer a partner, I was no longer a wife, but I was a mum and that was my purpose. That was my identity. But this year... I'm finding myself for myself. Sometimes it's very challenging being alone, but life is what you make of it. I absolutely am committed to that. I'm doing some part-time work at the moment, which is it's really rewarding. I'm hoping to meet someone that I can share life with and go on lots of adventures with, and I'd like to talk much more about my experiences. Reflecting on and unravelling and changing my belief systems around money has been profound for me and it's impacted so many areas of my life. I just never, I never anticipated that that's actually a foundation of self-esteem and core belief about myself. And I just, I'm so proud of myself, you know. I sit here, you're brave, you're definitely resilient, but you're also smart. I thank you for sharing your story and your journey with us financially and we wish you only the best in the future. Thank you, Lisa. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Nick. Thank you.